0: Welcome to Ominous Ones. I'm Connor. And I'm Tara. We are a true crime murder mystery podcast about all things spooky. This episode will have graphic content. Viewer discretion is advised.
1: This week Tara and I are going to be telling you about the Jalea Davis case. This case has been closed as a drunk driving accident but her mother and many others believe that she was murdered and are actively trying to get the case reopened to this day.
0: I personally side with her mother on this. What about you Tara? I definitely agree with her mother and anybody else that thinks that this was a murder and is very suspicious.
1: We will let you guys make your own assumptions from the details we were able to find. There is not a lot to be researched on her, although I did read through most of the transcripts from the interviews. Her mother, Kim Davis, is still actively trying to get the case reopened, like I said. So I'm excited to spread word on this case. There's a Facebook page called Justice for Jalea. ...that you can go to and you can read the transcripts for yourself, see the crime scene photos, get more information about the case. I'm going to tag it on this episode on our Facebook page at Ominous Ones, and that way you guys will be able to see it. Hopefully her mom sees that we did an episode and are, are also trying to spread word on this case, and she's excited for that, I hope.
0: All right, Tara, let's let you dive in. All right. Julia Davis was born November 2nd, 1991. She passed away on November nineteenth, two 2011, and she was 20 years old. On November eighteenth, two 2011, at 5 p.m., Jalea left home with her friends. She was with Jordan Campbell, Freddie Scott, Katie Nelson, Nicole Diaz, and Kristen Bechtold. She had planned to spend the night at Kristen's house after going to Nip & Q, which was a local bar. Kristen had reported that her and Jalea had taken approximately 12 shots of vodka before Katie met up with them and approximately 16 more after she arrived throughout the evening she remained in touch with her sister Toby and her mother via text at around 3:20 a.m. she had called one of her friends whose name has been kept confidential and asked him what he was doing and if her and Kristen could go over there to hang out he had other company that didn't get along with Julia and Kristen so he turned them down by 3.28, her sister, Toby got a disturbing phone call, and the night would ju- then take a turn for the worst. At 3.28, Jalea calls
1: her sister, Tabby, wanting her to come pick her up from the gas station. Her sister states that while on the phone, she heard Jalea say, give me my keys. I'm assuming that she was asking for her keys when she called Tabby because she had left her car at Brian's house before they went out for the night. And we get a little bit into more detail about that later on also. Five minutes later, at 3.33 a.m., she received another phone call from Jalea, but this time she sounded hysterical. At this time, she changed the pickup location to a rest stop off of I-77. Toby then then states that Jalea was crying, cussing, and calling Kristen names during this phone call. She asked her sister what was wrong, and Jalea said that she would tell her when she got there. Within 10 minutes, Jalea was dead. 911 received their first of three phone calls at 341 about a possibly distressed vehicle. Tara and I will now recite the 911 phone calls from the transcripts that we received off of the Facebook page Justice for Jailia. and Tara is going to be acting as the 911 operator.
0: So what's your emergency?
1: Yeah, I'm calling about a car that's broken down on i-77 North. Okay, where're at on i-77? on the 181 or so. The lights are on. It's up against the guardrails. Something's going on there, but I couldn't see anybody. It's pretty cold out, so I don't know what's going on
0: over there. Can you give me a vehicle description like red car or blue truck? Pardon me? Can you give me a vehicle description like red car or blue truck? All I know, it's a
1: car. He had his lights on. He's right by the car. He's up against a guardrail, so there's something going on over there, but I couldn't see anybody standing around. So, you know, the car or the people... I couldn't see, but the light's on in the car, so something's going on over there.
0: Can I have your name, sir? Can I have your name, sir? End of recording. So, in my opinion, I feel like
1: they probably did see a person, or maybe this was one of the people that was with her. I'm not sure. I didn't hear the voices. I just got to read the transcripts. But the call... Overall, seems suspicious to me because he's like oh there's a guy standing right by the car and then he's like never mind I didn't see anybody at all so that is kind of suspicious to me did you think so too
0: definitely suspicious he wouldn't give his name and he didn't even attempt to give a vague description of the car he didn't even say if it was a car or a truck or anything so with how short he kept it it's really weird
1: yeah agreed
0: the next 911 call came in at 3.48 a.m. We will read this transcript, also with me being the 911 operator. Stay in the vehicle. I'm going to keep the doors locked. Just stay here. What is your emergency? Sir, I'm at the 181.6
1: mile marker northbound on I-77. I cannot make a confirmation on, of this right now. I'm walking back. I think I just seen a human being laying dead in the highway, sir. Okay, and you walked away from your vehicle? I'm getting out of my vehicle and walking back where I seen the person. And you think you're at 181? 181 mile marker, sir. I haven't confirmed it yet. Okay, what's your name, sir? Okay, my name is blank. We drove by, and you know how it's dark and you can't see, but I'm just about pretty sure it might have been a person. Gosh, I really don't want to walk back there.
0: Or back here. You know what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, sir... You don't have to stay where you're at, and I'll have somebody come up there. I'm
1: getting closer to it. I'm hoping it's a deer, sir. I really am, but I'm pretty sure I saw what I saw. Oh, man. In fact, here's some other people. I don't know if you're going to get more phone calls. Two other guys just stopped down here at the bottom of the hill. Oh, man. Okay, sir. Do you know your cell phone number? Is it blank? I'm getting closer to it. Oh, man.
0: I'm hoping it's a deer. I'm hoping... I can't. I got my boy. In any way, when hit, did you pull alongside the guardrail, sir?
1: Yes, sir. I'm pulled alongside the guardrail. There's a chemical tanker truck that just pulled over. I'm getting closer to it. There's a semi-tanker truck that's coming at me right now. No, stay over there, truck driver. Stay over there. Stay over there. Repetitive. Oh, my gosh. I can't get over here in traffic. Yes, sir. Confirmation. Human body. Oh, my gosh.
0: Do you want to check to see if this person is still alive or breathing? Sir, there's parts of him. I can't. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Sir, turn around and don't look at him, okay? Turn around and don't look at him.
1: Oh, my God, sir. Sir, you need to hurry up and get people here, please. Okay, we got people on the way out to you, sir. Can I start stopping traffic? This might be a
0: crime scene, right? Do you have a flashlight? I don't want you getting hit.
1: Yes, I do. No, no, another person just about hit him. Oh, my God. Repetitive. If you can get the county sheriff's department here as soon as possible, sir. Sheriff department is on the way, so if the, so is the fire department and an ambulance. Okay, there's a tanker driver who just
0: pulled in front of me. There's a vehicle I can't. Can anybody turn their hazard lights on? Put as much light on the situation as you can, okay? Well, most of us are already past it,
1: sir. I'm getting kind of like, sir, this is a crime scene. I'm just about positive. I see this is a crime scene. Sir, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. This is unreal. This is unreal. This is unreal. Sir, you said you had your son with you? Yes, my son is with me. Kind of look like a crime scene.
0: He's not out there walking around with you?
1: See, his shirt's there, his head, his skull right there. See? Oh, oh, oh. Is the head not attached to the body? No, sir. Part of the head is right over here. I need you to get over here. Get over here. Get over to the right. Get over to the right. Make sure that you tell him. The Sheriff's Department is here. He's getting ready to block both lanes, sir. Okay, sir. You go ahead and talk to that deputy. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. End of recording. So, this is a much more genuine 911 call to me. You can tell just by reading the transcript, which I tried to put into it, but I'm not great at, like, trying to, like, match energy levels, especially I didn't just find a dead body in the road, so. But you could tell, like... He's given his name. He's given his phone number. He's like assisting in it, and he's not like, oh, I don't know what's going on. It's cold. I don't know what's going on.
0: I don't know. He's and then also hangs up. saying what he's doing while it's happening. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm walking over here. Oh my God, there's a part of the skull, and it's, like breaking it down. And yeah, this one seems really genuine. Agreed. At 3:52, another 911 call comes in. I will again be the 911 operator. 911 what's your emergency
1: Has anybody called in on uh it's in a Wood County on the interstate 182 right before 182 looks like somebody busted a deer they got a I'm sorry what It's 182 northbound interstate 77 Looks like somebody hit a deer there's a couple of trucks on the side keeping people away from the deer that's a car by the guardrail I don't know if anybody
0: Okay it's around the 182 Yes, just right before the 182 northbound. Okay, we've got deputies on the scene out there, sir. Okay, I just went by. There wasn't anyone there, so I just thought I'd call. Okay, thank you. End
1: of recording. By the time the police arrived, that also seems to me, but, like, a pretty genuine call. Like, he's like, oh, I just drove past. It felt weird because... I've driven past plenty of dead animals, and I've never stopped or stopped traffic or anything like that. So that seems kind of genuine, that he, like, passed it, and then he thought about it. He's like, that's kind of weird. I should probably call that in.
0: Yeah, and it felt off enough to call 911. Yeah,
1: but the first phone call, definitely, that one seems sketchy to me. All right. By the time police arrived, Toby had already came across a horrific scene while she was out looking for her sister. This is where it gets graphic. So... Censor, Jalia's body was found with one of her legs broken in half, her right breast was missing, and she was decapitated. She was naked from the waist up, and her bra, shirt, and coat, stained with blood, were draped over each other on the guardrail in that order. It's clear that this is definitely out of the ordinary. Her car was found still running, in gear, locked, headlights on, driver's side airbag deployed, windshield cracked, and passenger window smashed. But the damage overall to the vehicle was not what would be expected in an incident horrific enough to throw the driver out of the vehicle through the passenger window, which is what was concluded in the sixteen month investigation. Police officially stated that Jalea was under the influence of alcohol, wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and was ejected from the vehicle when she hit the guardrail. They claimed that the force of her hitting the guardrail ejected her out of the passenger window, where she hit her head on the guardrail, killing her instantly. Then her body flew over her car into the passing lane where she was then hit by a semi. I personally am not agreeing with their conclusion of this case. My mom worked as a Nevada Highway Patrol. My uncle was a Washoe County Sheriff's Deputy. My other uncle was a parole officer. My brother-in-law is Lyon County Sheriff's Deputy. Two of my sisters were dispatchers. My sister-in-law works for the Lyon County District Attorney's Office. I've heard and many stories and seen many accidents and crime scene photos. Some of the crime scene photos I've seen, they had decapitations of drivers, vehicles hitting guardrails, and many other grisly photos, but I cannot believe the condition of her car. There is no way she hit the guardrail hard enough to eject her from the passenger side, let alone from anywhere else. I mean, the guardrail had minimal damage, so did her car. I've been in two car accidents, one with a semi hitting my Dodge Neon at 35 miles per hour, and the damage to my car was more significant at a lower speed than in interstate. No alcohol involved, and there was nobody dead, or no major injuries even. I've also seen cars hit guardrails at 20 or 30 miles per hour when it's snowy or icy here in Reno, and completely destroys them. They're built to buckle under the force from a vehicle, but this is a hypothetical. Let's say if you're holding a body out of the window or out of the door or something and dragging it against a guardrail wouldn't sustain much damage because it's a soft tissue impact. The body would take the damage, not the guardrail, which is kind of what the scene looks like to me from the pictures that I saw, but
0: that's just how I feel on it. There is plenty of speculation surrounding this case. Julia's mother Kim, for instance, has allegedly seen all of the crime scene photos, and people have said that the photos with a white sheet are covering the body, but Kim says it is not the body in those photos, it is parts of her body that were on the roadway. I have seen some of the photos circling the internet, and to me, they do seem to be very small, if they're saying there's a body under it, even given that she had been decapitated. A very big problem people have with this case is the way her bra, shirt, and coat, in that order, were found neatly hanging on the guardrail, making it seem that someone had undressed her or if she had voluntarily gotten undressed or something and set the clothes there. Allegedly, it was said that when her body hit the guardrail, it ripped her clothes off. But I have a hard time understanding that also because we never read anything about damage to the clothes. And if you were flying out of a car window, smashing your head against a guardrail, and it literally rips your clothes off, there would be some sort of damage to the clothing. Especially with there being enough force to remove a breast. They never said how far away the breast tissue was from the clothes, but in my opinion, I would assume that it should be relatively close to the bra, if not still in it. I completely agree with that. You would think that the breast tissue would be super close. Even the blood splatter on the clothes, they weren't ripped. They didn't seem damaged. And there didn't seem to be a lot of blood on there for all of the injuries. Yeah, especially, like, her breast is missing. She's
1: partially decapitated. Her leg is broken in half. And, I mean, I'm sure she had plenty of other scuffs and bruises and cuts and stuff throughout her body, given the major injuries. So... Yeah, there I feel I I feel like there should have definitely been more blood on her jacket, especially if it was ripped off of her partially decapitated body. And you would also think that it wouldn't just be on the outside of the jacket, it would be on the inside too because it, it her shirt too and her bra got ripped off. It had to
0: go over her head, right? Or her n- missing head and her jacket was white, so I'm yeah. like, any blood on it would, would be visible, and it wasn't soaked. Like yeah, it, it was just like a smear down the back. It looked like to me.
1: All of these pictures are also on the Justice for Jay Leah Facebook page, so I strongly suggest if you can handle looking at these, that you should look at them because just looking, like even if you've never seen crime scene photos before, just looking at them, it doesn't look like a car accident. The damage to her vehicle is so minimal. There's no way she hit that guardrail going even highway speeds and drunk. Tara and I literally saw a person that they seemed like they were drunk. They were swerving all over the place. They were hitting, bouncing off the guardrail that was on the right hand side and then hitting the median on the left-hand side, and like just swapping lanes and driving off. I pulled my truck up next to him, ran him off the road, pushed Tara out of my truck while was while I was driving, and we get out to like be like, bro, you can't drive. Like, are you drunk? What's going on? I was on the phone with 911, and it ended up that he had fallen at work earlier that day and had a head injury. Which And he didn't even know where he was at, what was going on, so... He was a much older guy, also. Yeah, and he was very old. But, I mean, even... He was going 55, running red lights, bouncing off of the guardrail. He didn't have his seatbelt on, and he had a brain injury, and he did not come in... His vehicle had more damage than hers in in those pictures. Yes. And he's doing basically what they're saying, except he had a brain injury and wasn't drunk. So, I mean... Personal experience right there. To me, absolutely not. Anyways, back on track. Later on the same day, Kristen Bechtold immediately got an attorney. At some point, she had given a keychain that she had had of Jalea's to her attorney, but the keychain wasn't given to Jalea. Err, sorry, a keychain that was given to Jalea by her sister that was attached to her keys the night that she had left home. Kim had informed, Kim is her mom, had informed deputies that Kristen had it. Kim knew that she had it because people had sent photos to Toby of Kristen with the keychain through Twitter. The attorney didn't return the the keychain to police custody until after the case had been closed. Kristen had stated that her, Katie, and Freddie were at McDonald's and that that's their alibi for when, for not being with J. Leah during that time. The she also stated that they had gone to Brian's, where Jalea had left her car. They had gotten into an argument over her keys and her wristlet, and they left her there so that Toby could go pick her up from Brian's house. But the timestamp on the McDonald's footage, which is also available on the Facebook on the Justice for Jalea Facebook page, is 3:20 a.m. and Jalea hadn't called her sister until 3:28. From my understanding of the transcripts from the interview and the timestamp of the McDonald's, is that they were still with Jalea when they went to McDonald's. Then they went to Brian's house, got into the argument over the wristlet and the keys that she had mentioned. She wanted Jalea wanted to be picked up, so she called her sister, but she never made it to her destination. Katie Nelson voluntarily went in for questioning within twelve hours of Jalia's death. She said that she had spent the night with her boyfriend, Chris Latimer. Chris was then questioned, and he said that Katie and Kristen may have been upset with J. Leah over jealousy about him, but I'm not sure if that is relevant at all. Um, Freddie Scott was questioned two days later, and in his statement, he said that he was trying to set Jordan up with J. Leah. Jordan Campbell did not live in the area and was never questioned to my knowledge, and if he was, the transcripts were not on the Facebook page. So I'm not sure if he was questioned or not. I would assume that he probably was, but maybe they're keeping confidentiality somewhere along that way. I'm not sure.
0: Or maybe it wasn't in an official capacity, like, recorded at a police station. Yeah. Maybe they were just like, oh, what do you think happened? Or over
1: the phone or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. It is important to note that almost all, if not all, of the individuals that were with J. Leah that night are children to current and or former Parkersburg police officers. And after 16 agonizing months for the family and an original statement from the sheriff's department saying, quote, the accident is being investigated as suspicious, unquote, they ruled it an accident with alcohol being a contributing factor.
0: I would definitely agree with reading the transcripts because they talk in circles, they contradict each other, they change their stories throughout the whole thing, and there's a lot of transcripts on the Facebook page.
1: Yeah, there's probably, I would say, like, close to 200, if not over 200 pages of
0: transcripts. Absolutely, and there's pages on all of the legal part because her mom filed the thing, the Freedom of Information Act on it. Yeah. So all of that's on the Facebook.
1: All of, like, um the swabs that they had taken from... The, co- the vehicle and everything like that. Like, they said that um, during the, or on the pages that it says what the swabs came back as, there were, there was blood in the passenger side wheel well, which if you flew out of that window, how's your blood getting into the wheel well? There was blood um, on the passenger side, like the bottom of the door wasn't there? And the then- rocker panel. Yeah, and then on the trunk, on the roof, but just a little bit in the front on the driver's side. Then there was blood inside the vehicle on the driver door handle and on the armrest.
0: But that is not said a lot. Like it's on Facebook that that's where they found blood. Yeah, where her mom. But it's weird because if you look up other stuff on this information anywhere, that's rarely mentioned that there was blood found on the inside and minimal blood on the roof and all of that.
1: It's just insane to me. But when you look at the pictures, there is minimal blood on the roof. I mean, it's visible. It just looked like a
0: smear. Yeah. I don't know. In 2013, a girl named Ember Stafford had claimed to be a witness to the accident and reported that she saw another vehicle run Julia's vehicle off the road causing the accident. After a 30-hour interrogation, she retracted her statement and was sentenced to six months in jail. I can't say for certain, but I think that she retracted her statement because of the length of time questioning had gone on for her. Me, personally, I would have said anything to end that interview, and I know... In a lot of these cases, you'll read that people even interrogated for four or five hours will crack and admit to something or say that they lied or whatever to get out of it. Also, in 2013, an activist group called Anonymous made claims that they would take action to expose an alleged police cover-up on this case. They are a group of hackers that became known after the Steubenville rape case. They were responsible for hacking into websites and emails that produce photos, videos, emails, and texts related to the rape case. But as far as I can see, they haven't produced anything for this case yet. I want to touch on Amber Stafford for a second. She,
1: I mean, 30 hours of questioning is insane. Like, so, are they, do you know if it's uh, 30 consecutive hours that she was sitting there? Or was it 30 hours total?
0: For it being an interrogation, I would assume, I would assume it, it was would be, all together, Yeah, but it wasn't said, so I can't say. That's that's still a long time, even if they'd broken it up into four parts. Like, that's
1: still <laughs> eight hours almost each time. Of like, that's did a you long lie?
0: time. Did you lie? Did yeah, you lie? Yeah,
1: <laughs> police, I mean, how many other circumstances have there been where the police will manipulate the situation and get people to say whatever they want? And if you're not a strong-minded individual, like, that would not be a hard thing to do. Even strong-minded people after a while are like, okay, I give up. Especially after 30 hours. Like, I would not have ever sat somewhere for 30 hours. I would have just been like, oh, my gosh, let me leave. This isn't
0: worth it. She wasn't a big part in this. Mm -mm. She wasn't talked to. So I can't believe that she even lasted 30 hours because all she did was reported an accident and said that she saw another vehicle run her car off the road. So I'm like, why would they waste 30 hours interrogating her and why didn't she crack sooner? I would be like, I'll just retract my statement or whatever needs to be said. Like, yeah, she seems minimal. Well, obviously, it plays a part in it, but for the rest of them, hers is kind of minimal to last that long.
1: I'm kind of curious as to why it took her almost two years to say anything though
0: a lot came out in 2013 so all this happened in 2011 yeah and in 2013 is when ember came forward that's when anonymous came forward and people started pushing on this case more so i don't know what happened two years later but it boosted it that's insane i mean i'm sure
1: this was like a huge case back there anyways for sure because it's not a big town all right well thanks for listening tell your friends follow us on social media at Ominous Ones on Facebook and Instagram. Give us five-star ratings on all the podcast stations. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.